Welcome everyone to the Business Can Be Better podcast, the Better Business podcast. Um, we have Lane Anderson, uh, a follower and listener favorite, back on the show today. And uh, as a reminder, the purpose of this podcast is to help business owners make their business better. And we usually talk about marketing, leadership, or financially um, making the business better. And uh, Lane is actually a dear friend of mine and lucky for me, a uh, very successful CEO and founder of Lennon Road Marketing. Mm-hmm. Did I nope. say that right? Marketing. Media Marketing. Marketing. Okay. They changed the name once and it's really getting me. Uh, so Lane, what are you uh, going to share with us today? And please tell everybody a bit about you um, in case people are new okay. to the show. Um, we're going to learn about how to grow a business through acquisitions using that model of how to make your business bigger and more successful and more efficient. So we'll talk through that because um, in my story, this business I started just about seven years ago. Uh, at one point, I sold it to a private equity firm, uh, then bought another agency and merged it into our operations, and then bought the collective back again. So I've been through the process three times, and uh, our plan now for future growth is to continue to go that route and looking at other small agencies in other small cities and looking to merge them with ours, have people uh, be acquired and merged into our operations. So that's that's what I'm going to talk about today. Awesome. And you want to tell us a little bit about your journey? I'm sure people sure. Um, here. Uh, yeah, I've been starting businesses for a long time. This is the first one that stuck because that's how you learn is by doing it and <laughs> failing a bunch of stuff. Actually, a lot of them weren't necessarily failures. They just didn't have the legs to last long term. Um, but yeah, I've started a number of businesses, um, especially through university. I had an eco-friendly painting company using only non-toxic products. We called it Paint It Green. That's when I was out in the Vancouver area, so there's a great market for that. Um, And then also started a um, renovation company with my friend who was a journeyman carpenter, and we had a sort of a moonlight evening and weekend renovation company called Ox Projects. And so those two helped carry me through university and pay for uh taking care of my family and being able to get through school so i did that and then neither of those really had legs to go anywhere it wasn't my passion it was more of a create a job for yourself kind of business um but then yeah i started lenero marketing seven years ago um out of doing marketing as a contractor for a number of global brands and then deciding to leverage that into uh, our local market and starting a small business marketing company a full service all in one Uh, one-stop, one-relationship, local knowledge, local relationship type of marketing agency and uh, working with small business exclusively. And in more than one location though, right? Locally? Yeah, so so far we have another office in Medicine Hat from the other, from the company that we bought about um, a year and a half ago and looking to expand into other markets very soon. So So mysterious. I know, but I can't say. Um, awesome. Okay, cool. So you kind of sound like Gary Vee's story. I never really bugged you about that before. Um, isn't that, you're going to speak on a stage with sure. Gary Vee one day, yeah. right? One day. Yeah. That's one of your things. I, I don't I think I've up. said that, but I like it. Let's make it a goal. Let's make it a goal. Thanks for, for making it for me. <laughs> okay. It's on your vision board. I tacked it on there for you. Okay. Awesome. So, um, why should people consider, and please don't think that I'm asking because I, I do know some of the reasons, but um, why should people consider growing through acquisition, especially right now, um, versus just trying to grow their one company, their one way, and just add people to it? And yeah, um, please talk about that. Usually just because it's a lot more efficient and a lot more affordable, honestly. Um, like my experience is going to be specifically with service business and especially professional services, right? And so that's, this is very different because there isn't um, like, there isn't equipment, there isn't manufacturing equipment and a bunch of assets involved in these types of businesses. So it's a very different uh, story than if you're looking into, if you're in manufacturing or something, that's a very different world. But when we're talking about service business where you provide labor, mostly a lot of service, then that's what my experience is in. And it is really 
the most efficient and affordable way to grow. Because if I wanted to gain another, I don't know, let's say if I wanted to gain another quarter million a year in client revenue, and I want to hire a person to do that, I need to hire them, onboard them, train them. And then there's a runway to get from, like they start with $0 a month because they're just getting started. And it's going to take them, our experiences, nine, 10 months to get full speed and actually hit that level. Um, is that them, sorry, Lane, is that them recruiting people on their own or do you guys take like incoming leads and give them to um, Both. So we, as we have a like lot that is that. incoming and we'll pass those off. Um, but also if they have okay. capacity to handle more than what's incoming, then yeah, it's also going out prospecting and, and generating your own. But yeah, okay, but so that is, months. you know, at least a nine, 10 months and it can be longer process to get up to that sort of volume. Whereas we could find a business Absolutely. that's doing a quarter million or half a million a year uh, and buy it. And it costs less than what that one person's salary is in a year because it's, it's established and you you get revenue from day one because you plug clients in, you plug team members in. Um, the cost is usually quite a lot less than the waiting game of hire and build. I didn't think this would happen, um, but I think you're convincing me to go through <laughs> acquisition right now. So this is going to be exciting for all of us. Uh, okay, so I totally hear you. The, the math makes sense. Okay, so then what about... I know one of the most important things to you is mm -hmm. cultural fit. And we both know that that's an asset mm -hmm. that you don't mess with. You know, if you have a great culture, a great team, and you bring in someone who is not that way, uh, it can cost you a lot. Um, literally and, you know, you know, in a lot of ways. Uh, how do you ensure cultural fit when you buy an agency? So like, let's say you buy an agency and mm -hmm. it has three people four people which i love by the way because the smaller they are the cheaper it is to buy and it's also a good opportunity for them yeah. right because yeah because they don't have this growth mindset or maybe the risk tolerance or the education or the experience so i love yeah. the win-win of it like everything's win-win yeah. right yeah. in business it's not when when you're doing it wrong so they feel like they got a great deal. You feel like you got a great deal. And now we have this bigger team. And so how do we make sure that the bigger team is all culturally fitting together and consistent? So, I mean, we can go through the same process we do with hiring because you're not obligated to keep every employee that comes across. And usually we, um, so we go through that process. Okay, who do you have? Where are their talents? Where is their sort of overlap where we don't need this person now you've developed efficiencies or where are they bringing something that you had as a gap and you do want to retain them so it's not a given that you're going to keep everyone that's on a team you might and, and that's usually why you acquire is you want to find some efficiencies so if you've got two people doing min work and you've got the ability for that one person to absorb the little bit of extra admin they're bringing then that's where you find those efficiencies so sometimes they're not coming across but for those that are um you can go through the same process you do with hiring. You want to get to sit down and get to know them and find out what their aspirations are and what their personality is like, what their skills are. Like we just go through the same process we do with interviewing. Um, and, uh, and usually it's not in the way we've done it. It hasn't been interviewing for the job. We're kind of keeping them on um, regardless, but then it's letting it prove itself over the next little while, the first three months or so, and see if they're still a fit. Um, so when we bought the Medicine Hat Company, we did have, uh, we brought across four people, and then uh, about five months in, we let go one of them because that was the case. There just wasn't the right fit there. So we know what, for ourselves, we know what we're looking for as far as a measurable way of our people fitting our culture or not. Um, and so it's it's just ensuring that it looks like a good fit up front and then making adjustments after the merge if needed. Okay, so most people come with the company, but unless there are redundancies or they prove themselves to not be a cultural fit during the interview process or not the interview, but like the conversation about, you know, mm -hmm. you're joining a new company. I, I should probably know the answer to this, um, but I think some business owners are probably wondering, or at least I am, uh, when you acquire a business, do you have the same employment standards rules as, 
Yeah, no, I know the answer actually, sorry. So, you know, let's say that you acquire a company that's 10 years old and someone's been working there 10 years. You, if you're going to let that person go, you have the requirement to give them like a certain notice period or severance that comes. With yeah. So, I mean, there's right? different ways of buying a business because you can do a share sale where you literally buy the ownership of the business or you can do an asset sale. And that could mean buying the goodwill, buying the book of business, buying the bank accounts, whatever, like you can divide it different ways. But if you're buying the shares of the business, you're buying ownership of the business. And it doesn't matter if there's been an ownership change, you still inherit all of those things. So if someone's got a 10 year history with a company, you've bought their 10 year history with the company. Um, so yes, we have that as well. Like no one had to start over with a 90 day probation period to earn their benefits or anything. Like it's, it's, it's as if you've been there for, nor yeah, totally, they. nor should they. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So when you're talking about your hiring process, I'm sure you've got a really awesome process. You know, I have one that's pretty long. I add to it every time there's a, why, how did I get this? How did I let this characteristic mm -hmm. slip through? You know, how can I go back to before I hired them and make sure that I never hire someone like this again? Um, so you've got a hiring process, but do you, when you were talking about cultural fit, I was really hoping that you might say that you have like some sort of matrix or like, of course, do you have some sort of tool where you're like, check, check, check. You ask the questions, you, yeah, you, you're, you guys are so good at systemizing and making processes yeah, we, and we have, okay. So sure. can you talk a little bit about that? Cause I love it. And nobody guys, if you're listening and you're like, oh, cultural fit, no, like the, most of you, if you're not succeeding, it's clear roles and goals for your people, but also mm -hmm. cultural fit. Like you can have so many unique, different individuals in your company, but if they don't all share the same values or they don't all follow the same rules when they're at your business and they don't sort of match what you're marketing out to the public or what your leads see or what your website portrays and a customer comes into your business, whether that's virtually or in in real life and they experience somebody who's not a cultural fit. They experience somebody who's not your brand. And anyways, I could talk forever about the negative effects of this, but so I don't actually have a tool other than my culture statements that I use questions in my interviewing process, my hiring process, which is I've been told one of the longest ever, but that's on purpose. That's on purpose. But yeah, we ask questions so that people can show totally. those val those characteristics. So do you, but all I do is use my hiring process and my list of culture. Yeah, we have our three culture fit criteria and it's like the Venn diagram of, of each of those qualities and our ideal candidate has to have all three. It, having two out of three isn't a, hey, they're a pretty good fit. Two out of three is a bad fit. Like you have to have all three because you actually need all three to work together to accomplish what we want in a person. And so I guess... Firstly, it's important to understand that when we're talking culture fit, it's not about um, the things we enjoy doing together. Like we enjoy having lots of flexibility in our job or we have foosball table or like whatever. It's not about the fun stuff. Culture fit is about what is the type of workplace that we've created and what are the type of people who are looking for that kind of workplace and would thrive in that kind of workplace. Because it's not about good culture, bad culture. There's cultures that would be bad for me because that's not the kind of environment I want to work in, but that doesn't make it a bad culture. There's other people who would absolutely love to work in that culture. And that's exactly what they're looking for. So it's not good or bad. It's about defining what makes up the characteristics of your culture and then determining what are the characteristics that people would need to have to thrive in that culture. And so the three we have are excellence, curiosity, and accountability. Those are the three things that they need to have those criteria and they all work together to make up a whole individual that can thrive in our environment. And so our interview process, um, it actually mentions them straight out in the job posting as well. But then in our interview process, we're kind of asking probing questions to see how they respond. And you can't say, how well do you exhibit the quality of curiosity? Like <laughs> you're not going to get real answers. So it's more like you're in the middle of a project and you run into a roadblock where you don't really know the answer. Like, what do you do in that situation? And we need people who are resourceful yeah. are able to find answers. Actually, the other day, someone in the office just said, I don't yes. know how to do that, but I'll figure it out. I'm like, those are my favorite words. Oh. Thank you very much. <laughs> That's exactly what I want to hear. Um, whereas people, there are other cultures where 
it would be acceptable that someone hits that and they don't want them to be resourceful and figure it out themselves. They'd be like, nope, find this person to provide you an answer and don't do any critical thinking of your own or whatever. There's So we, we really are trying to probe for, are these the type of people um, that are going to thrive? I mean, we just went through another interview process and we asked questions like, how good are you at both giving and receiving critical feedback? And somehow people are even in their responses and thankfully being very honest, but being like, I actually have like a really hard time with hearing critical feedback sometimes. I'm like, I appreciate that you're honest about that and that you're probably working on it. But I mean, that's going to be a thing here. Like we have to call each other out on it. And we, one of our core values is radical transparency. So you're going to hear some things and people, things are going to come up. And because we have great vulnerability and great trust, we're able to say things that might be tough to hear because you know it's not a personal attack. You know that they have your best interests. You know they're being respectful to you. They're just calling out a behavior or a mistake or whatever. So there's space for that. But if someone hasn't learned how to thrive under that condition, it's just not going to work here. So yeah, that's that's what how we make sure yeah. that people fit the culture. So one of my favorite things that I want to offer the listeners or people who are watching too is, um, and I love the three words, by the way, I, I getting the person you're looking for down to three words um, and being able to share that with your entire network on your social media. Like, do you know the person that has these three qualities? Like, is this you, you know, um, it's a really good start. I mean, with your three, there's so much more to them than just the words, you know, like you'd have to define them for them, obviously. But for me, the number one thing that I look for is personal accountability because I find that, well, I mean, I'm, aren't we both on the cusp of, yeah, I'm an elder, I'm an elder millennial. Yes. I'm going to take that on, but, um, I'm a millennial, but uh, I'm outside of the bell curve. So with a lot of younger people, I'm not saying this is true. I'm saying I've heard this about a lot of younger people. And I hear people say, oh, young people nowadays, like they don't take responsibility for anything. You know, they're entitled, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, the older generation has been saying that about the generation underneath them forever since generations have been labeled. But uh, it is true in my experience that, every human being has trouble with personal accountability or taking responsibility for things. So that's something that I really want to weed out is, and and the question for that guys, if you're looking for this and I, you should be, um, if you don't have a culture fit criteria, just even just for your first hire, if you're a solopreneur and you want to take on an assistant, you have to find someone who is willing to say, okay, what is my part in this and how can I be better? And that looks like in the interview saying, tell me about a time when something went bad or wrong at work, you know, be very general, get them to bring up something that wasn't good. And then usually people will tell you, well, this other person did this, this, and that. And uh, I'll give them a few chances usually. And I'll say, what was your part in that? And usually they're like, what, my part? It was my boss, you know, or like it was Sally, like I just told you. And then I'm like, okay, we're done here because who we don't want to waste yeah. each other's time, you know? Um, so that and then uh, the ability to learn new things quickly. I don't know how to really word that properly, but I imagine that's really important yeah. in your business too. Um, and the resourcefulness thing, like Google it, like search on YouTube. Like if someone is coming to me constantly, if they're like, Oh, if I didn't know, I would ask them like, no, like we're done here because, and I hope people are honest to the interviews because I really do cut things off, you know, when you realize, but it must be so much harder in acquisitions because they've had this job and they've had that, that leader and now mm-hmm. they've been bought. So you said you're kind of generous with that, right? But then you kind of watch over Yeah, time. yeah, a little generous. Or is it just like, you don't have yeah, this? Yeah, a little generous in letting them, like, do they fit the criteria or not without really trying to pull them apart in interviews or anything. Yeah, we are having a bit more leeway. But, I mean, you also get a good feel in the conversations up front about um, what kind of a culture this place has. And that's where, when we bought the Menace Hat Company especially, it was just so easy because 
we just shared the same DNA. Like it was exactly like they're running our business the way we run our business. Um, and so it was just, uh, it was very easy. And you can see that, and there's a little nuance of like, well, they didn't do this. Like our radical transparency means that um, everyone knows everything. There's no information that's above anyone's pay grade, right? So, you know, all the businesses, financials, um, yeah. you know, what we're charging clients. And even that sometimes, especially in the marketing world, you're not always letting your staff know what you're charging for the service that they're providing. You're like, oh, we're building this website and you're doing the work, but it's, it's, I think, fairly common that they're not letting their staff know what the project costs. And so there's things like that, that might be done slightly different, um, that but I, but it's so like it's kind of all in the same area at least that the culture fit was pretty pretty easy yeah so when you said like we shared dna what did that mean just means like you feel like you and medicine yeah you just feel like you're on the same page about how to do business what you value um the way you'd want to grow the mm-hmm. kind of service you want to offer what's important to you and how you provide them um, yeah, there's just so much, it's in attitude and in approach and in values. All of that was so shared that it made it easy to be like, this is, this is going to be an easy merge because it's not going to be big changes for you guys. Uh, it's going to be us really awesome. meeting in the middle on, on, on things that we already agree on. So I think anyone who's a business owner listening to this, I really hope people listen, uh, even if they don't think they're like someone who could grow through acquisition, because um, you like, I'm kind of like you starting selling, buying, flipping, sticking some stick. Cause I love them so much. And, and it's just, you know, you feel your purpose in it. Um, but I think people need to know, and maybe you can speak to the people that are listening or watching that. It's not like you have to be a multimillionaire to get into this game especially if you follow Lane's smart strategy of acquiring smaller firms. Do you want to talk more about your strategy and like how, I don't want to say anyone can do it. um, But I do want anyone listening or watching to know, don't count yourself out, like listen and learn today. And there's so, there's so many ways that you can borrow money. Um, And if it's good debt, or if you don't have that money in the bank, it's good debt that can make you money, especially if you Mm -hmm. get a company at a good price. So um, please tell us about, you know, how anyone can do this. Yeah, I mean, yeah, like what makes it really approachable in a service, professional services based industry um, and a lot of service industries is that there isn't much for assets. So, yeah, if you're going to hire or if you're going to buy um a manufacturing company or like even whatever home building or like something that has a lot of assets there's tools there's equipment there's there's a lot there right yeah inventory yeah there's a lot to buy and that can make it very expensive when we're talking about services you can get them at really good price because there isn't much to buy other than well basically there's goodwill which is after this acquisition am i going to get client revenue that's monthly recurring or because the brand that we purchase has some weight and that's going to earn us customers like you're buying that um and so it can be had for quite a lot less than a company that has some major equipment and assets that you also need to purchase um yeah so we we want to look for those types of businesses and then especially where in the industry we're in it makes it easy because these businesses aren't highly sellable because they are so tied to the people, right? So um, it's hard for people to pull out of a business and that business be able to stand on its own and be able to be profitable and sustainable. And so it's so tied to the people that they don't have many opportunities to buy this business or to ever sell their business to exit. Um, Their plan is likely to either have um, some sort of model where someone someone climbs into the ranks of taking over or they're just going to shut it down when they retire or move on or whatever, like some sort of succession. But selling it is usually not on people's minds because it's just not a sellable thing. Like we think of other outside of marketing, we think of other businesses like a bookkeeping business or something. That's You don't see people buying up bookkeeping businesses because it's not a highly sellable thing, but done right, it can work really well. They can complement each other and you can work yeah. together um, and especially among small businesses, a lot of people kind of became accidental entrepreneurs where they built, they started as a contractor and then it grew and they ended up with a couple employees 
And when we talk to agencies, that's what we're seeing is people, um, they start an agency because they enjoy doing the work, they like managing the clients, um, but then all of a sudden they've got three or four or five employees and they're trying to keep them all humming along smoothly and they're trying to make sure everything's operating efficiently. And now you're not running clients anymore. Now you're running a business and they're like, ah, oh, I wish I wish it was back to the days of me just managing clients and doing marketing. It'd be so much simpler. And they don't they're not, they don't do a good job. Not everyone is able to bridge the place of owner and service provider to business owner and entrepreneur and uh, running it like an owner should. So sometimes you're actually offering them a relief line. <laughs> you're also in the life raft when you say, hey, do you want to not Absolutely. do this owner stuff and just keep doing the thing that you love doing? Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it can be had for a lot less than you would think. Um, yeah. So there, sorry to interrupt, Lane. Um, there's the win-win right there. And I really want to make sure people hear this because I don't want anyone to come away thinking that anyone you've acquired hasn't gotten a great deal or that we're recommending that you try to acquire people and not make it a win-win. Everything we ever recommend mm -hmm. will be a win-win. And uh, I cannot tell you of the thousands and thousands of business owners that I've talked to over the years, I think over the last 22 years, so a lot of business owners, uh, the sentiment, I wish I could just go back on the tools, yeah. you know, it's like, this is what has me so lit up about business coaching and about like, I'm like, how do you give people a business license without requiring them to take some sort of leadership coaching, like some sort of marketing and sales training, some sort of understanding of the financials, the reports that say how much money they make. And uh, the truth is though, they're just very different personalities, right? So someone who loves working on the tools or someone who loves meeting with clients and stuff, they may hate doing budgets and spreadsheets and KPI meetings and having to improve. Well, I don't know. I think everyone should improve themselves and do personal development. But yeah. That's just me. But yeah, like leadership is hard, especially if you're not. Yeah. It's a different skill set, right? So, it, like you have to learn a different set of skills. Like okay. you can be, you know, going back to when I had a painting company or renovation company, I can be great at laying flooring, but that doesn't mean that I can run a good flooring business. Like these are different skill sets. You can't, and not everyone bridges the gap when they have to learn the other half of the equation once you own a business. And when you stay small and you're two or three, four people, you don't have to worry too much. Like things can be a little chaotic because there isn't, you don't need a ton of process and procedures and so because you're like four people like you can just talk to each other and text each other and it's like not efficient and not scalable in any way exactly like you're going to be stuck at that size but you can still run a profitable happy business by doing that yeah yeah in your industry for sure so for sure i mean yeah i mean to your point about it like it has to be win-win in these because often you're having to retain the team, that's part of why you're acquiring usually is you're trying to find talent and you're trying to find clients. Like those are the two things that you're winning. And um, usually if you're just getting the clients, you need some of the team to stay or the clients may go too because they're like, well, that's who I had a relationship with. So you need to retain the team and they need to then be happy to continue working under you. So yeah, you're not going to come in and strong arm them out of their business and offer them a deal and think it's going to be a win because you have to keep them on as or at least some of them on as team members after the fact and continue to help you towards your vision. Um, and yeah, that's only going to happen when everyone feels like they made the best move and they're stoked about the outcome. Yeah. I love this. We, uh, I feel like we need to say this a few more times throughout in case people don't listen to the whole thing. Um, a couple of questions I had for you. One, uh, I look at businesses all the time that are for sale, like anywhere within five hours of us. Um, Calgary or Lethbridge. And sometimes I find a business that is pretty heavy inventory, um, more of a product business and, you know, has just a few employees and uh, it would be a very easy one to, for me to buy, like go in, systemize, make it profitable, which is what I used to do for a living, you know, as a, a manager for other people's businesses and what I teach as a business coach now. So I can see exactly like, go in, fix this, fix that, um, and then make it worth this much money, you know, the profit and the inventory. And uh, 
this is what I would expect to be able to sell it for. So I'm like, mm, considering it. But then I start to do a little bit of research in, in the market. And I find out that this particular idea, and I can't share it because I think it's so specific that people could Google it and figure out what it was. But it's such a cool idea and people need it. Um, however, it was struggling so much that it was willing to sell for mm-hmm. the cost of their inventory. And that was not a lot of money. And so I was kind of like, oh, how can I not do this right now? But, uh, you know, Tim, my husband had just said, if this is our life, I don't know <laughs> if I can do this. Only time he's ever said it in 12 years. And we had too yeah. many businesses at the time. So I did not buy it. But the community hmm. hated this business. And it was in a smaller community. And they, they thought that they, the owners were, like, greedy because they were taking advantage of people who in a smaller town did not have access to more than one of these um, and they didn't trust them. And there was just all this really bad press sort of. And I was like, yeah, no, I don't think I can spend the time I need to, Mm -hmm. to combat that. So that's one thing I wanted to ask you about. Do you do research like that? And are you like pretty sure that the goodwill is real? Because I've seen so many deals where they're like, oh yeah, goodwill this much as many customers and then the new they're just all moving because the the owner left and you can't control the customers so that's number one and then the other thing i wanted to ask you about was building and selling the company for online assets because i know we've sold a couple companies based only on their online assets and it was kind of uh back when google reviews were still like a novelty like most people hadn't figured it out how flipping important these things are. And uh, so we built up like a Facebook page and Instagram account. Um, and I think, I want to say we had like 30 Google reviews. It was nothing crazy, but all competition within yeah. hours had like one or five at the most, but there was four bad ones. And so based on the online assets, like the social media pages, the Google listing, we were able to sell that instead of a mm-hmm. share sale, although we were able to yeah. sell the corporation to them in the end. Yeah. But like, do you know what I mean? So maybe talk a little bit about the first question, if you can remember it, because I know I talked a lot. Sorry. You're like, don't worry. I know you. <laughs> Second question. Um, what do you think about that? And if people are looking to sell, like maybe both sides of this, uh, looking to sell or looking to buy, um, what do you think about the value of building up yeah. online assets? Well, the first on doing sort of that background check and making sure you're buying what you think you're buying. Like mm-hmm. that, this is not a, a quick process. Mm-hmm. You're not going to meet someone tomorrow and own their business in a month, right? This is this takes. I need to. This learn takes this a lot long. Like this is a longer process than buying a house or any other thing you're going to buy. This is going to take a lot more time because you're buying more than just a single asset there's a lot more detail so i feel like you're picking on (laughs) not at all none of this is personalized um okay yeah i mean so you you have to you got to find a good candidate off the bat and so that's like what we talked about does it feel like it's a good fit like would you add value to their company are they going to add value to yours like there's got to be that um that good fit and so then as you develop relationship with those people you start to learn about their business a little more about them individually and then we we got to like pull back the curtain and figure out okay what do things actually look like underneath and and that's that's totally yeah first point sign an nda um because you're going to start getting into stuff that can't go outside of this conversation like before that we can talk about like well these are the kinds of services and this is roughly maybe our revenue if you're willing to share it or here's our clients like some of that is going to be info that um depending on how you operate depending what level of um confidentiality with your clients but a lot of that can be shared prior to that but once we really pull back the curtain we need to have an nda and we're gathering client information employee information all the financial information um and really diving in and that's that's not just like what's your client list it's what's your client list what services are you providing what's the invoice amounts how long have they been with you can you show me the contracts all of that you have to get into it because you're paying money for something that has very hypothetical value and so you need to be quite certain on yeah this is what i'm getting um yeah if you don't buy the seller 
especially if you're anywhere near their marketplace, needs that non-disclosure agreement right away to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also, I think there's a lot of people who, if they hear that whole, and I know um, one of my old mentors is going to smack me if he ever hears this, but he's like, don't ever use this, don't ever share this. It's a very rough estimate, and it's probably not even close when we're looking at like a formal valuation of a business. Maybe I'll ask you that too if you if you do those. Um, but the whole like three mm-hmm. to five times the net profit projections mm-hmm. for the next five years is kind of and he's like, but well, it's so not accurate. So different, such different yeah. businesses or whatever. But imagine if you approach me and with marketing, I feel like so many people start marketing companies nowadays because they're like, oh, online marketing is so huge, and it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, but you have to be good at it, and you have to constantly learn, and you have to have systems, but um. So, oh my gosh, I totally forgot my question. Was that the multiplier valuation? Can you help me? No. No, it was before that. About selling assets? That was your part two of your other question. (laughs) Sorry, guys. Okay. No, you just keep going. Sorry. Oh, sorry. Okay, so if you're the seller and uh, you're anywhere close Mm. to the same market, and the reason I went off about how many marketing companies there are uh, is because if you're even in like a smaller city or town there's probably other marketing agencies because a lot of people can you know hang a sign and say that they can do it um but like if you're gonna get their financials and you're gonna get everything we need to make sure that they feel protected because you might just not buy it and then stay and now you have all this information that you can basically beat them with yeah yeah you need to be protected so that everyone feels comfortable giving up that kind of information because if anyone is going to go into it feeling like they're going to hold their cards to their chest, then you're not getting the information you need to capture. So yeah, everyone needs to feel secure. My my main point, I just remembered, I I apologize, was the fact that so many business owners, and I'm sure myself included, uh, I try really hard not to, but of course in the coaching business, uh, like it's, it's my business, it's my sweat equity, it's my hard work, it's me my face on all the stupid videos that I hate to be in and the pictures. And it's like, so when someone approached me, if they were like, I'll offer you this much for your business, you have to like, as a seller, you have to business coaching. One is a terrible example. I don't consider it a systemized business. I consider it built on a personal brand. So like another one of my companies though, I would sell that very like objectively. I'd be like, Hey, we can go back and forth a bit on the price, but here's the valuation. Like you're not, but there are so many people out there, I think, that run companies that are paying themselves so much money and they don't do like the ad backs. Oh, so they don't yeah. really know yeah. how much it's worth. So if you want to maybe talk about that a bit and like how to know if you're getting a good deal, because I I bet a lot of people are on fire from hearing this and they're just like, well, I am anyways. Um, but they're like, oh my gosh, I know so many crappy businesses I could buy or not crappy, but like win-win situations where they want out and I want more people and I want more talent. So I can do this. I'm going to go to BDC tomorrow or whatever. <laughs> Don't do it that way. Um, yeah. Also talking. Don't. Yes, please. There you go. Three talking points. I'll be quiet. Where are we starting? Uh- <laughs> okay. So valuation. Uh, the person who would yeah. the value. Right. Because. Or deflate because they're big, they're huge salaries yeah. being taken. Oh, okay, it's coming out of dividends. Yeah. So the company looks great yeah. on a profit and you, loss statement. Because um, no, you have to normalize themselves. salaries as part of it. Because if you're making half a million a year and it looks like you're doing twenty percent margin because you made a hundred thousand dollars profit, but the owner pocketed the hundred thousand dollars, how much would it cost you to pay that owner to do that same job or pay someone else to do that same job? And so if it costs you $80,000 to hire someone to do that job, your profits are $20,000, which is uh, yes. 4%? That's what I was 4%. trying to get <laughs> Or something like that. Thank you. So, yeah, and, that's, and that is very commonly the case. In small business where the owner is the operator and providing most of the service, you are sitting at break even to 5% margin because they're taking all of the profits or they're, they're keeping very little in the business. And so that's where. And to them, it's like, I've worked my whole life. And when we look at, as you say, like as a multiple multiplier style of valuation where you go, okay, we're going to take your 5% margin. We're going to take that number and multiply it by five and give you that in cash. Well, that $20,000 that is made in cash 
at the end of the day, we can buy that business for $100,000 and get $500,000 in revenue because that's the multiplier. But we can in, put that business into our business and turn that margin into 15% because of efficiencies and standard operating procedures and every, every, and like um, eliminating any of those redundancies. You don't need two accountants. You don't need two lawyers. You don't need like all these things that get absorbed. Um, and so I you got, now your margin's 15%. And now that 15% of 500,000, that's 150K. You just paid $100,000 to make 150K profit. Like you literally can break even in a year because of people's profit margin is so small. And if you can triple the margin, which sounds ludicrous, but because of the state that small, small businesses are in, service-based businesses, that is very viable. Um, you're breaking even in a year and then making and profits. And they're laughing, being like, I got a 100K check in the bank because, and I still get to keep my job and still get to make the same money I was making, but I just get to hand over ownership. Everyone's laughing. So, yes. Win-win. Okay. We got to stop you here because who can do what you're doing. People who know how to systemize a business and make it more profitable. Because if any random business owner is just like, well, I have this plumbing business that is out of control because I have no leadership marketing or financial skills, but I have a lot of plumbers and there's a lot of plumbing needs. So I'm going to buy another plumbing company. You're just going to exponentially increase your stress and your lack of profit <laughs> instead of increasing profit the way that you want to and eliminating redundancy. So what, what should people make sure they know how to do before acquiring businesses and growing this way that you're talking? Yeah, about? you have to be, you have to know how to do this at scale. Like you need your foundation to be solid. You're not st still figuring out how to do the work. You need to have something, you need to have something better developed than the company or developer that you're acquiring. Unless you're acquiring and merging in because they have the systems and the standard operating procedures. Cause there's, we could go over all the many objectives you might be setting for why you're acquiring and the characteristics you're looking for in a target acquisition, because that might actually be what you're looking for. Like, I don't have time to develop all these standard operating procedures. I'm going to buy a business that has them and will use them. So we can also find efficiencies. And you get yeah. Discovery. So we need to make sure that there's um, for it to be a good, what you need to know and have in place already is you need to have a decent foundation that is complemented by bringing them in, not made more chaotic and busy and crazy. So tell, tell me what that foundation is. So like, I feel like a lot of people tell us that I'll use words mm -hmm. like foundation and they're like, well, what does that actually mean? Like I'm listening to you, but I'm going to shut this podcast off now because I, don't, I literally don't yeah. know what foundation means. Like, what is that? What do people need to know, understand, learn? And guys, we're not trying to sell anything to you. Go get a book. Like, I don't think I'd recommend scaling up for the week or the, the newbie, but like yeah. you have to learn how to run a business before you just start buying more businesses or you'll have a lot yeah. more problems, right? A lot more unhappy. So the foundation problems. is being able to really, like you've, you're very good at being able to define your own business. You know exactly what it is you do and who you serve and how. Um, that has to be extremely well-defined and you're not just taking whatever work gets thrown your way. Like you know who you are and how you're different in the market. Um, you need to have a good vision for where you're going and what you're trying to build. That has to be clear, not just, uh, well, we'll just try to get bigger. Like it's, it's gotta be a clear vision. How are we gonna get bigger? In what direction, what path? How are we further narrowing? Are we expanding our services? Like what is your vision? look like for the future um, and then some amount of the steps of how you're going to get there not just we'll figure it out as we go we need some sort of framework of how are we going to get to the vision that we've set um, and then it's just like the documentation foundation stuff of here's our services they're well defined here's what we offer and here's how we provide them um, procedures, procedures standard operating procedures systemization, systemization like yeah we need all of that in place so that it can be plug and play. And that doesn't mean it has to be done because it's never done. Like we're never done perfecting our systems and adding, adding SOPs. <laughs> like it's never, ever done. And I have many more, I have many more still to work on, but there needs to be a start on that um, so that you're not just adding chaos to your operations. You can't just like we, our last acquisition, like we just added 15% or 50% to our size overnight on January 1st last year. Um, and if you don't have systems to take that on or some processes of how to 
how to absorb that. Like it's just going to be chaos. So you need some of that. Or like, yeah, here's your job. Yeah, here's your job and what you're going to do and what your goals are. And the reason I'm beating this to death is because so many people don't have those and they think procedures are like a, or they'll hire an HR consultant to just build all the procedures for them and give them a manual that they'll never look at or they don't have a vision or they don't understand their why or they don't really clearly have a target audience or a few of them or like you said they don't know exactly what they do and and how they do it that's different than other people there's just some business basics that you want to make sure that you understand before you just start bringing more people because people people are everything like if you can't deal with people and you don't have systems and you don't have clear rules and goals and you don't understand how to be a leader or you're not willing to grow, like personally do not add more people to your team. Like, please. It's, please it's, it will just them. exaggerate whatever already exists. So it's going to, it'll make the chaos exactly. worse or it'll make the good stuff better. Whatever it already is, it'll just be more of that. So make sure it's in a place that you want more yeah. of that. Awesome. Okay. So then I think the next one was, do you always get a formal valuation or do you just work with the current business owner to come up with the Yeah. By that point, we're working with uh, an accountant advisor type. Um, you can work with business brokers, consultants, if your accountant has experience with that. Um, so yeah, at that point there, it's not, yeah, it is a formal valuation. Yes. It's not like we went and paid for a consultant to come and do it, but our you can have an accountant who's well-versed in that to go through it all and come up with a number. And they we ask them to prepare their own and we come and meet and talk about it. And it's... And does that just come to you or both parties? Um, the valuation? I mean, so that's, yeah, both parties yeah. coming up with their own of the, of the target business and then let's get mm -hmm. together and talk about it. I mean, it's not a requirement for them to, if they want to just come in with whatever number off the top of their head they can come in and do that but we know what we believe it's worth and if they don't um, agree with that or not it's not within a range of acceptability then that's fine um, but we just know what we'd be willing to pay for it we're not going to go too far outside of it but it is such a it's not like every other asset you buy in the world where it's either this is the price tag and that's it or there's some amount of negotiation i mean these are things that if you don't buy it, so maybe no one ever does. Like this is such a just wide open negotiation, and it and there's so much more to negotiate yeah. negotiate than price because it's not just what you pay; it's about what you're gonna do with the brand after, or are they, are they getting a job after? Like right. there's so many other elements that are part of that conversation. It's not just the price. There's a lot more. So there are like certified valuators, right, or valuation experts. So that was kind of what I was wondering, because I know those can be like 10, 15, even more thousand dollars. But like considering my accountant, um, I would like I have and would absolutely mm -hmm. trust her recommendation and valuation, even though she may not be a certified valuator. And I also have been told by a very, very, very intelligent, successful, experienced, awesome human being of an accountant that a business that I want to buy is worth whatever yeah. they're willing to pay or a business that I want to sell is worth whatever yeah. the buyer is willing to pay. And I really, I really get that because it's, it goes back to like the whole marketing idea of yeah. perception of value or perceived value. And, and I guess it kind of ties it all yeah. back together. No, right? it's for sure. It's, it's whatever you're willing to pay and whatever they're willing to sell for. And sometimes those don't match, even if, even if they had an evaluator and we had an evaluator and they came up with the same number, there's still, there is emotion attached to it. And there's all sorts of things that are going to affect course. that number. So it is just talking it out. Um, and in every case for us, it was actually the easiest part of the conversation. We came with their number, they come in with theirs. That's and cool. it was in some cases a minute <laughs> conversation of like, okay, yep, sounds good. And off we go on to the next thing. Like it, Often it's the simplest part. That's amazing. Um, Maybe you should tell people how to make it the simplest because I know I've tried to buy a couple of businesses where people are like, what? It's worth a hundred times that. I've been working in it for 25 years. Da, 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 da. And it's like, well, you have no assets. You have no profit. You right. have 
what am I supposed to pay for? Yeah, I mean, if, I would say if that has come, then maybe that conversation came a bit quicker than they were ready to have. Whereas we're not having that conversation until four months, five months in. Like we've been meeting, we've been looking at things. We, like they've had a chance to really critically think about, okay, if this is for real, what is this actually worth? Like they're not just, you know, if you approach someone today and they're like, what do you think your business is worth? And they give you a knee-jerk response. I would agree. We're probably going to be in very, very different places about what that answer should be. But if we're allowing this to have the space it needs to think it through properly and develop a understanding and a conversation, we're usually going to be pretty well in the same place because once you detach emotion from it, it is a pretty objective number. It's pretty formulaic. And if we got to radically different places, someone's information is just wrong. So what's the formula then when we're talking about service? Well, it's how, like, how quickly can we earn back our investment and how reliable and then factoring for risk, how reliably can we earn back that investment? Um, and then for them, how, like, how much of a buyout do what I want to make me feel comfortable that, like, if I just owned it for two years and I can make the same amount by just continuing to own it, well, then probably not worth it. But if it's for five years and I can get five years worth of profits in my pocket, then that's worth it. There's, it's going to be different by industry that it's hard to speak to the formula, but it is, sure. it's about the balance sheet and it's about the goodwill, um, and then about but it's and also a little bit about emotions, emotion. yeah. like you said. Like someone who maybe is pregnant and wants to, they're like, what do I do? I built this business and I really need this time off with my child as they're young in their first maybe five years. But I don't really think the team can run without me. I guess that's where they should get the business acumen. But a lot of people, I could totally see them feeling a win-win more so than a... I built this for such and such years. And, and so, okay, we've talked about so much today. Um, do you want to, do you have like maybe the top three, the top three things to consider when growing through acquisition? And then we could do a quick tip after like, okay, if this piques your interest and you're thinking about it, here's the thing you have to do. Sure. Yeah. I think, um, Okay, well, let's let's reinforce one of them, which is take your time doing this. Like, get to know people, get to know the business. Um, you don't want to do this yes. on shaky information. Feel like you know each other very well. You know the businesses like that. That needs to be in place. There's no point rushing this. Like, really, really take your time to get to know. So don't speed through it. Take your time and do it well, I think, is one. And that means that they're not going to feel pressure. You're not going to feel pressure. Yeah, this just feels okay. so good. So win-win. Okay, so take your time. Get it, make sure you get to know each other. Get to know the businesses. Okay. That's number one. Get real Don't clear on okay. the objective of why you're doing this and then projecting when that will happen. So if you're doing it because you want the client list, okay, how much of it is going to retain? How long will it take you to make a return on that? Like we need to be clear about why. If it's about finding the team because we know in a lot of like it's really hard to find talent these days i know like in accountants are having talent, a terrible yeah. time trying to find qualified cpa candidates if you're trying to hire accountants like maybe it's about acquiring team members there can be lots of reasons why we do this but get really clear on your objective of what you're trying to accomplish by doing this not just growing because this sounds like a cool way to grow like how do we do this in a way that meets the objectives really strategically and then projecting and and, and can I, forecasting. Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. To make sure that mm -hmm. it actually meets your why. Projecting for it to meet your why. Okay. So I just wanted to interject really quickly because no matter what part of business you're talking about, if you're not planning it out and if you don't know the reason why, like if you don't have goals or strategic objectives or a long-term strategy that you're taking action in order to achieve... I just feel like so many businesses are out there just going yeah. to work and just doing their best and like not making that much money and paying lots of tax. And uh, they're not even clear on what strategy, like they have no strategic plan. Yeah. They have no goals. Um, yeah. And also um, guys, if you're going to try to sell your business one day, uh, you need to make sure you're not taking cash jobs that you're running everything through your books. That's another reminder. I think we need to give people so many people think their business is worth a certain amount, but 
when you look at their financials, it's, it's not. And that's because you did not run things through properly. And that's, you're not going to get what you deserve for your business. I mean, you should do that because it's the right thing to do and it's illegal not to do, but I just wanted to take a minute to remind people about that. Had, I've had quite a lot of experience with, um, with people thinking their business was super valuable, but the books didn't support it. So, you know, we can't just add back a million dollars that you yeah. took in cash. Okay. Then the third point. Anyways. Okay. Top one, yeah. Third point. Three. I think I want to touch back. Cause you said, you said, this is not out of reach guys. Like let's talk about how attainable this is. So I want to touch yes. on that. Cause Yes. Um, the third is you can get real creative on how this gets done. So you mentioned, you know, you can go to BDC and that is an option hundred percent. I shushed it before, like too quickly. It, it very much can be an option, but it's high here. interest. And it's, yeah. Sorry, but the, like, it's, it's so much, it's so much more complex than, or can be a lot more nuanced than just writing a check in a cash transaction. I haven't done any of my deals for hundred percent cash. That hasn't, that's not how any of them have done. Um, some have been partial cash, partial equity. Um, some have been hundred percent equity, like zero cash tra- changed hands. You can buy a business for $0, $0 down. Your only fee is going to be to accountants and lawyers to get you through the process. You can buy a business for $0. I promise you it's actually How do you by offering them something that's such like a win that they want to join what you're doing You can give them equity. You can give them you can give them payouts. There's a vendor take back as a model of financing it that they may finance it for you. You say, you know what? I'm going to buy your business. You're guaranteed to get five grand a month over the next four years. You finance it for me and you go to a lawyer and draft the agreements and be one. done. Like that can be done. So you don't need cash to do this. And, and that last one, Lane, I, I would love for you to repeat it because I know there are a lot of uh, like baby boomer age um, business owners that are feeling like, oh my gosh, you're putting all this time and all this effort and uh, I didn't put into CPP and EI or whatever they're thinking and they want to retire, but they don't think they have options. But the fact is one of their employees or someone like yourself who grows through acquisition or me could offer them X number of dollars per month for the next 20 years. And that could literally be your retirement plan, but you can only do that if your business is worth Mm -hmm. money. So to make your business worth money, make sure that you have that business acumen and you have those, the basic, the basics in place and that your financials look good enough to provide you with that. But yeah, you can, you do have an exit plan. There is a retirement strategy here. Like think about it and people out there who will buy. And that's why the price is such a, like it's so not a black and white conversation because you could say I'll buy your business for $200,000 for cash, but I would be willing to pay $300,000 if you finance it for me and we do a VTB vendor take back over the next five years, because then I don't have to go and source capital or find a high interest rate loan. And you don't get the money up front. You get it over time, but I'll give you more of it. Like you can just work out the terms. It's not just a cut and dry. Here's the price. Sign me a check. It's so much more, it's able to be so much more nuanced than that. So make use of that to find ways that people get what they want of it. Some people do want a cash buyout and that's what they want. And that would make them happy. But especially if you're planning on them being a part of the merge and continuing to work with you, if it's not a retirement sale, if it's a, yeah, I want to be part of your operation, then an equity purchase is very attainable and uh, you can buy it for $0 and merge them in. Because they get shares in the overall company. company. Yeah. Yeah, I love this conversation. Um, great. Okay, thank you. So um, I feel okay. like it's time for the quick tip. So if people are listening and they are, can we add, can we okay. quick tips, please? <laughs> are you putting me on the spot? What am I going to come up with? Okay. All the time. I gave you. Well, I know I had a quick tip, but now I have to have two. Oh, sorry. Okay. What do you have a quick tip for the buyer or the seller? I didn't know it had to be related to acquisition specifically. (laughs) Okay. It doesn't. It doesn't. Oh, Oh, does it? Yes, it does. Okay. I'll give you some time to think. So a buyer, someone who's newly today realized, oh my gosh, 
I never thought of that as an option. And if there's one thing I need to know, what is it? Forget the quick tip, just the important tip. One thing they need to know. You already did the three top things. So like what's an actionable thing they could start to do? Yeah, let's do a quick tip. Sorry, guys. Hopefully Steph edits this whole mess out. Um, if I'm a, somebody who's just like, oh, wow, this podcast opened my eyes. I could start buying businesses in a variety of ways. Um, what is an actionable thing that they can take away from here to kind of get started down that road? Um, I think on the bot. You're so no, mad at me right now. I think on the buyer side, it's just um, retain professionals. Like that's it. Like if you haven't gone, even if you have gone down this path multiple times, just go and talk to someone who has experience with this, who can make it a walk in the park for you. Because you don't, you don't need to know how to do this unless you are an M and A, like a mergers and acquisitions pro and that's usually a ceo role of someone who's wanting to really really grow by this method but you don't need to know the stuff inside and out so these are good information to make you feel a little more comfortable in this game uh but go and find professionals who can help you walk you through it and that means uh, a lawyer and an accountant are the two that you definitely are going to lean on a lot okay okay and not necessarily a business broker um it really depends on the business like I have never used a business broker. Um, I think that's, I mean, usually the seller is the one using a broker because they're trying to get it sold, right? So they're like, hey, try and find me a buyer. So on the buyer end, I'm not using a broker. Um, But yeah, the seller may, uh, if they don't have experience in that and don't really know what to go forward with, then yeah, a broker knows how to do it. And if the person is well vetted. Yeah. Yeah. If they are well vetted and they have referrals and yes. On the seller side, I think the quick tip is just about selling assets, like you said. Like there are things in the business that are worth the money, and it's sad to me how many business I I see just shut down because they failed or they moved city or whatever reason they just shut it down. And I'm like, you had assets people would pay for, even if it's your Instagram or it's your website because it has SEO ranking or whatever. Like there's so much. There's people who make a business of that. They'll build websites and make them have SEO value and then just sell them to whoever wants it because they can just plug it into their business and use it. Like you, your assets have value and it's, and of course the physical ones do you shut down a restaurant, you're going to sell your, you know, like your kitchen equipment and all your stuff for sure. But I mean, the other stuff that's non-tangible, there is things to be sold and it's sad to see how much of it just gets like deleted and tossed (laughs) and it had some real value that someone would have paid for. Yeah. That's such a good point. I know, I can I have all these clients flashing through my head telling me, "Oh yeah, one of my competitors just shut down." I'm like, "Sweet. Like we yeah. can, you know, that person could have actually approached my client and been like, "I want to retire." Like where's their know? email list or their and Facebook page or their presence. like whatever. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, think outside the box, guys. Like, there's so many things that could be valuable. Like, in acquiring the Medicine Hat company, like, because they had a website and it had great search rankings. So, for sure, that comes across with them. And we just set a redirect on it to the appropriate page of our website. And now we can glean the the results that it would have gotten, right? Like, you get that search ranking and people and people who had it bookmarked or they tell other people, oh, just go to this website. Like, you are still going to get traffic from that we didn't just bin it because we don't need it anymore we keep it in place and it still redirects to where we want it to go on our website so yeah those assets they have value um don't throw things out that someone might find value in yeah right after i just said you your business is not (laughs) what you think it is but that to your point of like it's so much more nuanced than and that's why that one mentor said, don't ever tell people, just multiply your projected profit by three to five times because there is so much more to consider, but it's mm-hmm. not out of reach. Like, yeah, like guys, beautiful. please just believe in possibility. There's endless possibilities. Too many businesses fail. It's just sad. And yeah, don't give up. Try mm-hmm. to sell it. Just, uh. Pester Lane on all his social media channels with your questions and he'll coach you through your sale. Probably not for free. You should start Uh-oh, a new business I don't think lane. So. 
Um, okay, where can everyone find you? Uh, LinkedIn's the best place. I am on a mission right now. This this is our Q4 for our business. I'm on a mission to post every weekday. Five times a week, I'm posting to LinkedIn mm. is my mission right now. So there's lots. I'm putting quite a bit of effort into these and creating a lot of content. So LinkedIn, Lane Anderson, find me there. That's the best place. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm on you Instagram if you want to find it, but I don't post very often. <laughs> I barely post Instagram. Instagram. I shared your post that I was going to be on the podcast. What's your handle? Uh, my Instagram oh, handle you. is the real Lane Anderson. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you want to share your email? Because that one's just awesomely entertained. No, I'm just kidding. Not no. really. His old email oh, is yeah, fast my, lane. Yeah, my personal. It's, it's so good. Oh, I love you, my friend. I'll be for dinner. I'm sorry. Okay. Anything else you want to mention to our listeners or watchers before mm, we I don't out? think so. I, I had recently wrote all of this information in a blog that is on... Uh, a website called Agency Analytics because that's our reporting tool that we use. So I guest wrote an article for them about how to is specific to marketing agencies, um, but there's a lot in it that would be applicable to a lot of other businesses. So um, I don't know if there's a way we could distribute that link or I can tell them to search it, but there's a very yeah. long, like a 5,000 word behemoth of a blog about how to do this. Don't deter them. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for opening up my mind and probably a lot of other business owners' minds and and for really helping people. I really uh, admire how you just give your time like that and, and we appreciate you. it. So thank you on behalf of everyone who's ever gonna hear. It.